The reading is from John 11, verses 17 to 44, and can be found on page 1078 in the Bibles. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who was to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, it was the cave, with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there was a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet, wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, 
take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ted. Do keep that open. Sometimes you get passages in the Bible which you think is a preacher. All you can do is get, get in the way of it. But hopefully um, we'll be able to come and see the richness and the, the beauty of this um, emotional story this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to just gather as your people and to be uh, able to hear your voice. Thank you that you speak to us, and we pray now you give us listening ears, and please encourage us, give us hope, encouragement, and we pray that we might have greater security and confidence in your Son, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We do keep open that passage. Um, as many of you know, in the summer we moved down from up north, uh, back down to the south. And um, one of the things that we found, or I found hard been, been about being back down south, is that I'm surrounded by a certain breed of person that I'm not a big fan of. Chelsea fans. <laughs> they're everywhere, and they're gloating at the moment. Um, and I guess when it comes to Chelsea legends, the people you think of is someone like Frank Lampard. Uh, I don't know if you remember Frank Lampard's goal celebration. In recent years, when he's, well, when he's playing for Chelsea, whenever he scored a goal, he looked up to the heavens and he pointed like that. And he said in an interview that that was his way of acknowledging his mother after she died very suddenly. Uh, and in an interview, he was asked about how he processed the pain of her death. And he said this, if anyone asked me if I believed in God, I always said yes, but I never did much about it. And when this happened, that changed. I've tried to find reasons, I've gone to church. The first reaction was anger. The most amazing woman in my life, how can it happen to her, to us? All those other people in the world doing terrible things, why her? And so I went to church to deal with those emotions, really but it's complex. Death makes us ask questions, doesn't it? It might even make us angry. Angry that someone's been taken from us, particularly if we feel they were taken before their time. Some of the younger folk in the congregation this morning might feel relatively, or might be relatively untouched by death. But trust me, it won't be long before you're sat by the bedsides of someone you love. You're stood by a coffin or you're watching it disappear through a curtain. Or perhaps you're just grasping to try and find the right words to say to a friend or relative who's just lost someone they loved deeply. Confronted with uh, the permanence of loss and death, we try, or the world tries to find words of comfort, don't we? Things like, he's gone to a better place. Don't worry, she'll be looking down now, wondering what all the fuss is about. Lampard says this, and it's edited for language. I'm quite a cynical man, really. I'll have days when I think she's up there looking down on me, and others when I'm thinking, no, she isn't. She isn't anywhere. She's gone. You see, many people's... Optimism about life after death is more hopeful speculation than certain confidence. The, the finality of death is 
hard for us to deal with even the best of circumstances. Earlier this year, in the space of about a three-week period, I lost both my grandma and my grandfather. They, they were both old. They'd both lived good lives. Their deaths weren't unexpected. But tears are still shed at the funeral service. The finality of a life ended hurts. It's painful. Perhaps one of the um, most painful experiences for those who grieve is, is looking back and trying to work out if you could have done anything differently. Or perhaps realising that maybe something could have been done to prevent it, the death of the loved one. That's very hard to, to process. And that's what Mary and Martha were going through in our passage today, after the death of their brother, Lazarus. After Lazarus had died, Martha goes out to meet Jesus as he meets Bethany, which is where they lived. Look at what she says to him in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Reading the words doesn't allow us to to hear the tone or to see the face of the one who delivers them, does it? But we can imagine the sorrow and pain etched all over Martha's face. Words delivered through a quivering voice and wet eyes. I don't think these are angry words. I think these are the words of a grief-filled woman who has some degree of faith. Faith if her Lord had been there, he might have been able to heal her brother. Because that's just what Jesus had been doing all over the place. Look at verse 32. Later, Mary comes to meet Jesus. And she falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If Martha's response is composed, then Mary's is the opposite, isn't it? She can't contain her emotions. She can't bottle up the pain. It just pours out of her. Her words are surrounded by tears as Mary weeps at Jesus' feet. She can't even stand up. Lord, if only you'd been here. Again, I don't think there's any blame towards Jesus here. It's just her grief, her frustration, her pain pouring out. It wasn't Jesus' fault that he wasn't in Bethany at the right time. He loved Lazarus. It was just unfortunate timing. Or at least that's how it seems. Mary and Martha had sent words to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, but Jesus was too far away. Although what's interesting is when Jesus hears the news, he, he does do something a bit odd. You'd expect him to rush to be at his friend's bedside. Even if he didn't make it in time to save him, at least he would be there for the family. But look at verse 6 of chapter 11. Jesus stays put. He stays with where he is with the disciples for another two days. Why doesn't Jesus just drop everything and head to Bethany straight away? What sort of friend stays put when someone they love is suffering and in pain? I know of someone who recently flew thousands of miles to be with a friend as their son was dying. And yet Jesus doesn't, incline, doesn't seem inclined to move at all. You see, when you read this for the first time, it can appear that Jesus has been cold and calculated. 
And actually, I think that is half right. Jesus isn't being cold, though, he, but he is being calculated. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Just look at verse 4. He's confident that this sickness will not end in death. Verse 11, he knows that Lazarus has fallen asleep, but when two days later he finally sets off to Bethany, he says, I'm going to wake him up. The, the disciples don't get it. They, they think Jesus actually is saying that Lazarus is only asleep, verse 14. And so he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. And again, when you read those verses, you think, hang on a minute, that's an incredibly cold thing to say. He doesn't even seem disappointed that he's not with Lazarus. He seems glad. But Jesus isn't being cold here. He's being calculated. For Jesus' actions here have a much greater purpose in mind. Verse 4, Jesus said he's going to reveal his glory. And he's going to do that, so verse 14, so that you might believe. Now, uh, we know that Jesus was a distance away from Bethany because by the time he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And as he approaches Bethany, Martha comes out to meet him and she expresses her frustration and pain. But then she says this in verse 22, she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I don't think this means that Martha thinks that Jesus is going to help Lazarus. I think she thinks that ship has sailed, it's too late. But I think this is just an expression of her faith in Jesus. That even though Jesus wasn't there, she still has confidence in him. And then Jesus says to her those wonderful words in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. Only Martha doesn't quite twig what's about to happen, does she? She answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, Martha, like many people of her generation, believes that Lazarus, like everyone else who has faith in God, will rise again at the end of time to be with God. Perhaps not physically, but spiritually, their souls will live on. But Jesus is promising Martha a lot more than that in these verses. And we see that in verses 25 and 26, which are probably the the key verses of this chapter. Just look at those with me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus here makes an extraordinary claim. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, Woody Allen uh, famously said this. He said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. After being diagnosed with terminal cancer, Apple founder uh, Steve Jobs spoke of the inevitability of death. He said this, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty 
than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. Why? When death is so natural, do we all fear it? Try so hard to delay it? It's because death isn't natural. It's not what we were created for. We were created for life, to live eternally with God. And death is a consequence of sin. It's a sign of humanity being cut off from their maker. And now to a grieving sister, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. I am, it's the phrase that God's used to describe himself in the Old Testament when he reveals himself to Moses. I am. Jesus is claiming to be divine. He's saying, I am, I am God, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus isn't saying here that I can give you resurrection and life. He's saying, I am the resurrection and life. Resurrection life, eternal life that we were made for is found in him. Nowhere else. It's not found in being religious. And heaven, life after death, or whatever you want to call it, isn't accessed by living a good life now, by finding inner peace. It's found in a man, Jesus Christ. So how do we move ourselves on from hopeful speculation to confident certainty in the face of death? Well, Jesus says we need to believe in him, the source of life. He who believes in me will live. That's the certainty that Jesus offers. Remember Frank Lampard? He says, I'm quite a cynical man, really. I'll have days when I think she's up there looking down on me, and others when I'm thinking, no, she isn't. She isn't anywhere. She's gone. Jesus says we can have confidence Certainty, not speculative hope through belief in him. I've, um, I've not been in this church family very long, and so um, I don't know the history of people and families, but over the years I know that this church family has lost to death some wonderful, wonderful people, and you will know that too. And the sad state of the world is that that is going to continue over the coming years. And we feel the pain. We grieve. Perhaps like Mary, we weep. But we do not do so with hopeful speculation, but with confident certainty that those people who've trusted and put their faith in Christ are living the resurrection life that Jesus promised them. And we know that because their belief shone through their lives here. Those who believe in Jesus will live. Remember, this, this life is secured not 
is secured through our belief, not our behaviour. Changed behaviour should accompany belief, of course it should. But changed behaviour alone does not give us any security before God. It's about belief. What do we need to believe? Well, look at verse 27. I think Martha probably articulates it quite neatly. She said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. That's what we need to believe. Let's, let's go back to Bethany. Martha leaves Jesus and goes and gets Mary. Mary comes to Jesus, falls at his, at his feet. But then look at how Jesus responds in verse 33 and 35 to 35. As Jesus talks with Mary and he sees her weeping and he sees everyone else weeping, he's troubled. Jesus wept. This is Jesus like we've not seen him before. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's basically the same question as Mary and Martha's, isn't it? But just with a little bit less faith. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there was a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Martha's right. Jesus, it's too late. He's gone. His body will smell. It's begun to decompose. Please, Jesus, let him keep his dignity in death. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So Jesus knows what he's doing. He's known it all along. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That you sometimes wish that John had described people's emotions and faces. Wouldn't it be amazing to see people's tears of joy and pain, tears of pain and anguish being replaced by floods of tears of joy? Friends and family stood around with wide eyes and wide mouths in disbelief. People confused at what was seeing, what they were seeing before their eyes. What a moment. Everyone's so frozen that, that Jesus has to tell them to take off Lazarus' grave clothes. These things were heavy. Poor guys struggling to come out. See, from the start, Jesus has known what he's doing. He was never cold. He was calculated. He knew that Lazarus would live again. And everything he's done is to reveal his glory. 
to reveal God's glory. You see, Jesus reveals the glory of God who sends his Son. That was the reason Jesus prayed, verse 42. Jesus raising Lazarus was intended to show the watching crowds that he had been sent to this world by his Father. He doesn't need to pray, but he prays for the benefit of everyone listening so that they might know he's been sent by God. This is Jesus revealing his glory as the one sent by the Father. But Jesus also reveals the glory of God who is troubled by suffering. Jesus weeps. He's troubled. He's moved. That, that word sort of troubled is, uh, in the original, it's sort of like a snorting animal. A snorting animal of disgust, of pain. It's an ugh! Now Jesus isn't troubled by Lazarus' death per se. Of course he's not, because he knows he's about to go and raise him from the dead. That's not what he's reaping about. He knows he's going to raise him. No, Jesus is troubled, angry, weeping because of the general suffering, pain and death that is as a consequence of a world that doesn't believe in him. And he's angry because it was never meant to be like this. He's angry because people persist in their unbelief. He weeps because he longs for the world to be restored to belief and relationship with God. You see what we're seeing in Jesus? In Jesus we're seeing a God who is not distant and unmoved by the plight of his world and people's suffering. No, we see a God who cares deeply. Deeply. Finally and obviously, Jesus reveals the glory of God because he gives life to the dead. I mean, anyone can say, I am the resurrection and the life, can't they? Anyone can say that. But not many people can stand at a graveside and say, Lazarus, come out and watch him come out. Jesus delays going to Bethany because he wanted Lazarus to be properly dead. He didn't want to turn up and people think that he just resuscitated Lazarus. He waited to the point where Lazarus was well and truly dead and raised into life. And in raising Lazarus, we see that Jesus makes good on his claim to be the resurrection and the life. And he gives us a picture of what he will do for those who believe through his own death and resurrection. And so Jesus' invitation to us this morning is very, very simple. It's the same as the one to Martha. It's this. Do you believe? Verse 26. Do you believe? Martha did. Martha did believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. I don't think she'd fully understood what that meant yet. But she believed. Look at verse 45. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and they put their faith in him. So how about you? Do you believe? Not do you look like a Christian. 
Not are you a morally lovely person, but do you believe? For only belief is enough. And this morning, if you do believe, then there is much encouragement from these verses. Because belief and faith in Jesus Christ change the way we view death. We mourn. We grieve. We weep. But we do not do so without confident certainty. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death is not to be feared. And belief and faith in Jesus changes the way we view life now. Life for all eternity is in Christ, but that life begins in part now. And so what happens in eternity should shape everything now. As Jim Elliot famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me finish with this, and it's, um, it's from Lord of the Rings and the final film, Return of the King. And um, there's this great little scene where Pippin uh, begins to realise that it's not going to end well. Well, that's what he thinks, that he'll probably die. And he says to Gandalf, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf replies in his sagely wise voice, he says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we must all take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What, Gandalf? See what? White shores. And beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no. No, it isn't. In Jesus' resurrection, the path to that far green country is revealed. And that makes the world of difference to my life now and in eternity. It changes everything. And that's what we've seen in these verses. Let's pray. Just a moment to pause and to reflect. God of all consolation. Your son, Jesus Christ, was moved to tears at the grave of Lazarus, his friend. Look with compassion on your children in our loss. Give to troubled hearts the light of hope. And strengthen in us the gift of faith. Our loving Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have given us a true faith and a sure hope. Strengthen this faith and hope in us all our days, so that we may live as those who believe in the communion of saints 
the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection to eternal life. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.